are looking at Josiah and having a fresh start with God. I invite you to bow with me just once more now as we prepare to enter God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, through the example of Josiah and this scripture passage that we had read for us, that again, you will speak to our hearts, help us to block out the distractions and focus in on what you have for us this morning because it's good and we anticipate receiving from you. So I ask, speak through this, your word, through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The prisoners heard the grim sentence read, death by firing squad. Well, they were shocked. You see, just hours before, they had been released from their prison cells and led to waiting carriages. Many of them had assumed that after months of imprisonment, they were finally being released. They, they believed that further punishment, whatever it would be, would be relatively light because their crimes had been very mild. Not even the most pessimistic amongst the men had feared execution. And yet, here it was. Death by firing squad. After the grim sentence, they were given a cross to kiss, the chance to confess to a priest, and then dressed in peasant shirts and hoods over their heads for the execution. The first three men in line were led to some stakes and tied. The soldiers took aim and held their positions, waiting for the command to fire. The year was 1849, the place Russia, and the prisoners member members of a political liberation group. Among them was a 27-year-old man named Fedor Dostoevsky. Now, you may recognize that name. However, at this time, Fedor Dostoevsky was not yet one of the most famous authors in history. In fact, at that moment, it looked as though not one of his classic books would ever be written. But Dostoevsky prepared at this moment to meet his maker. And as he did, suddenly from nowhere, a drum roll was heard and a messenger from the Tsar himself rode in at full gallop on horseback. In the messenger's hands was a stay of execution for Dostoevsky and his fellow prisoners. They were taken back to prison with the intention they would be sent to prison camps in Siberia. Later on, that sentence too was remitted, and he wrote in a letter following these events to his brother, Fader described how at that moment in his life it was a fresh start. And he wrote this, When I look back on my past and I think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time has been lost in futilities, errors, laziness, incapacity to live, how little I appreciated it, how many times I sinned against my heart and soul, my heart bleeds at the thought. Life is a gift. And in a novel he later wrote entitled The Idiot, Dostoevsky describes an execution scene similar to the one that he had personally experienced. And in it, he describes the thoughts of an also 27-year-old victim as he awaited his death by firing squad. Very certainly, it describes his own feelings at that time. And in the book, he wrote, What if I didn't have to die? I would turn every minute into an age. Nothing would be wasted. Every minute would be accounted for. A fresh start. Well, like Fedor Dostoevsky, there are moments in life where we all need a fresh start. A new lease on life. Especially in our relationship with God. 
These moments likely will not come quite as dramatically as his did. Most of us, hopefully, will not have to be lined up in front of a firing squad to realize an opportunity for a fresh start at life. But all the same, the message is true. Sometimes we need a wake-up call and a fresh start with God. Well, this was certainly true of the southern kingdom of Judah at the time of our morning scripture reading from 2 Kings. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. 2 Kings chapter 22. And as you turn there, I'll read for you the introductory statement. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled over Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem, 31 years. Now that's not a typo. Josiah was eight years old, not 18. Eight. Yes, eight years old. Now, I don't know how I would personally feel about having the leader of my nation appointed at age eight, though I suspect my almost eight-year-old back there might have a different feeling about it. He might love it. I think sometimes he thinks he's appointed as ruler of our home. But nonetheless, he's not. And yet Josiah was the actual leader of a nation at age eight. Difficult times called for extraordinary measures. You see, Josiah's grandfather, King Manasseh, you may have heard of him by reputation, being the most evil king in Israel's history, ever. He led the nation into complete embrace of idolatry. And 2 Kings 21 verse 16 says this of him, Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Well, not surprisingly, God wasn't pleased with Manasseh, and he pronounced this consequence in verse 12 of the same chapter. I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear it will tingle. Well, when God says he's bringing ear-tingling judgment, he means it. Remember, this is the God who brought the global flood at the time of Noah. So when he says he's bringing ear-tingling judgment, people better pay attention. So now for Josiah, hearing stories of his grandpa likely wouldn't have evoked warm fuzzies like it does for many of us when we think of our grandfather. Then, on top of that, Josiah's dad, King Ahaz. Well, he wasn't much better than Manasseh. King Ahaz continued to do everything he could to alienate God by continuing in the ways of his father, continuing to worship idols, continuing to do violence, and to do that which was evil and wicked in the eyes of the Lord. But King Ahaz's reign was cut short at only two years because even his own government officials decided that enough was enough and they assassinated him in his own palace. However, following the assassination, the people then rose up and put to death all the officials who had conspired to assassinate Ahaz. And so now, their king is gone, the officials are gone, and they decide to make Josiah king in his father's place at age 8. So here he is, only a boy, and Josiah becomes king of Judah. He inherits the wicked legacy of his father and grandfather. Most of the people had slipped from worshipping the one true God altogether. And throughout the nation, people were creating their own gods and offering sacrifices to them. Parents were offering their children as sacrifices to the the demonic idol Moloch. They were literally offering their children. The priesthood was also entirely corrupt. Anyone who wanted to become a priest could become a priest. 
Even within the magnificent temple of God, the one you remember built by Solomon, even there an altar to Baal and Asherah had been set up within the temple. On top of that, rooms were also set aside for male prostitutes with which the people could come to enact their perverse sexual worship of the so-called god and goddess of fertility. Now, if this is sounding terrible to you, well, it keeps getting worse. There's no end to what the nation has fallen into at this point. And this is what Josiah has inherited. But in spite of this, in spite of Judah's complete idolatry and immorality on every level, the external circumstances of the nation were still relatively good. The nation was at peace with its neighbors. The economy seemed to be doing all right. And therefore, the people assumed that God and or the gods must be pleased with them. But in truth, it was an utter spiritual and moral disaster. The people were doing literally anything they wanted to do in the name of religion and thought nothing of it. The fact that God's impending, ear-tingling judgment loomed large before them had not even entered their minds. They weren't even thinking about it. And so here we see Josiah inheriting all of this as an eight-year-old king. What a way to start your reign. His father's been assassinated. People, of course, think he's too young for the job, and the nation is spiritually in utter disaster. Judah desperately, desperately needed a fresh start with God. But most of them didn't even know it. It can sometimes be the same for us. Sometimes, somewhere along the way in our lives, we get off track. We get off track with God, and... Perhaps you've allowed worldly influences or sinful desires of some sort to gradually erode a once vibrant relationship with God. You may not even know it yet, but if deep down you've got a nagging feeling that this might describe you in any way, then chances are the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention that you need a fresh start with God. So how exactly do we do that? Well, let's take a look, a closer look, at Josiah's example. The parallel account of this story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And there in verse 3, it tells us this one little detail that's different from 2 Kings, or rather in addition to. It says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his father David. Now, if you're good at math, 8 plus 8 equals 16. Yes, I heard someone mumble it. Good, all right, we're still awake out there. You can do basic math. I love how the text has to throw in there, while he was still young. Well, duh, he's 16, right? He's 16. But he begins to seek the God of his father, David. And this leads us to our first principle in starting fresh with God. We begin to seek him diligently. So here we see at age 16, an age when most teenagers today are just getting their driver's licenses, right? So stay off the sidewalks. So at that age, Josiah had already been king for eight years. And more incredible yet is that at the age most associated with reckless behavior, Rather than following in the footsteps of his evil dad and grandfather, 16-year-old Josiah went back 
multiple generations, and the author intentionally says his father, David. Now, he wasn't his next generation father. He was his great, 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 great father, grandfather, I should say. But it says he goes back to seeking the God of his father, David. Now, the English word seek from the Hebrew daras means to diligently search. It's not passive. It's it's active. It's diligent. To diligently search. That is what Josiah is doing. If you're going to seek the Lord for a real and lasting change in your life, then you need to put yourself wholeheartedly into it. Diligently. I mean, if we're just going to do this half-heartedly, making some sort of a ho-hum, when-I'll-get-around-to-it search of God, well, it's just not going to cut it. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 12, our call to worship, God tells us plainly, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Just as any girl isn't overly impressed by a boy who's interested in her, you know, bringing her a bouquet of wilted dandelions or a half-eaten box of chocolates, like, they're not impressed by that, right? Well, just as anyone who's being sought out with a half-hearted effort isn't going to be impressed, God isn't overly impressed with an anemic prayer life, sporadic worship service attendance, half-hearted service, or on-again, off-again Bible reading. He just isn't. And, and why should he be? He's our creator, our Savior, and our King. God deserves and, yes, demands nothing less than our wholehearted pursuit of Him. No excuses. It's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek ye first. Not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth, not thirty-seventh. Seek ye first. And what happens when we do? God says, you will find me. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Well, that's exactly what Josiah begins to do at age 16. He begins to seek God first, diligently, with his whole heart. In fact, this becomes the hallmark of Josiah's entire life. If we skip ahead in the story to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25... This incredible summary of Josiah's life states, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. How about us? What is the hallmark of your life? If you were to die today, what would the summary statement of your life be? Would it be like Josiah that you turn to the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? Or would it be something less? Well, if so, God desires, he invites, and yes, God challenges you to make 2019 the year that you start fresh with him by seeking him as Josiah did, wholeheartedly, with all your soul, with all your strength, holding nothing back. And when you do, God will be found by you in a way that you've never encountered him before. 
And he will reveal himself to you in a new and powerful way, just as he did for Josiah. So number one, start fresh with God by seeking him with a whole heart, diligently. Number two, start fresh with God by digging into his word. There's a true story that at the Gold City Gem Mine in Franklin, North Carolina, visitors can go there and pay $6 for a bucket of dirt from the mine. Now, the bucket taken from this gem mine contains small rocks, usually worthless, but there's also the excitement of the treasure hunt, and on very rare occasions, there might be a real gemstone in this bucket of dirt. Well, in July of 1995, an eight-year-old third-grade boy named Griffin McMurray paid his $6 for just such a bucket of dirt. As you might expect, after panning out the dirt, the amateur prospector didn't appear to have found any hidden treasures within. There was one rather ordinary-looking rock, however, that the boy kept simply because he liked the unusual shape. Well, later on, while in the jewelry store at the mine, the boy was holding the rock in his hand, playing with it, when a saleswoman noticed it. And striking up friendly conversation, the saleswoman asked the boy if she could give his rock a closer inspection. As it turned out, underneath his rock's ordinary-looking exterior was an 1,104-carat sapphire gemstone with a market value of over $45,000. Griffin's lucky strike didn't end there. It earned him a trip to the late show with David Letterman, where when Letterman asked him how much it was worth, Griffin had replied, it's worth 45000 but I'll sell it to you for fifty. <laughs> Smart kid. Now, at either price, that's a pretty good return on a $6 investment, isn't it? And of course, we all enjoy stories like that. We enjoy stories of someone accidentally finding hidden treasure, Well, that's exactly what happens next in our story. 2 Kings 22, verse 8, we read, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Now, incredibly, don't miss this, incredibly, up until this point in his reign, Josiah had not once heard the written word and law of God. Not once. It had been lost to them. No one had it. No one had it to look up, hey, what does it say in the book of the law again? It had been lost to time. Now, obviously, because of the previous wicked kings, most of the scrolls containing the word of God, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, well, they'd either been intentionally destroyed or simply lost. In fact, many speculate that this book of the law that was found in the temple was actually hidden by a faithful priest at a time of a purge. Get rid of these. And they intentionally hid it away. Whatever the case is, we're speculating because the point is no one had this. It was a discovery. And what set the stage for this rediscovery of God's word was that some years after Josiah began to diligently seek the Lord, he became convicted that the temple of God had fallen into a state of disrepair And so he set about financing and organizing for its repairs. So at this point, take note that without the written word to follow, Josiah is seeking the Lord in relative ignorance. He doesn't have specifics at this point, just a general sense of fixing the temple would be the right thing to do. But don't miss this. Even in ignorance, because Josiah was seeking the Lord 
sincerely with his whole heart, the Lord kept his promise and allowed himself to be found by Josiah in a seemingly coincidental sort of way. Renovations are happening in the temple, and Hilkiah stumbles upon, what is this? And he recognizes this is something special. He doesn't quite know what. Ironic, right? A priest, a so-called priest of God, doesn't even know the word of God when he's holding it. But he recognizes this is something important. And so he passes it along. Well, in the same way, if you're not sure of the specifics of what God wants for your life, start with what you already know is right and begin doing it. Sure, your knowledge might not be complete yet, and there might be some more things the Lord will inform you of and require of you in the future, but God will give you the more specific stuff when he sees that you're already doing the general stuff. Why? Well, as Jesus said, he who is faithful with little, more will be given. Many times over the years, I've had people come up to me wanting to talk about, you know, what is God's will for my life? Now, wanting to learn what's God's big plan for me. And often, when people have approached me with this, they feel frustrated because it's not appearing. And what I've often asked in reply is along the lines of this. Well, are you already doing the small things that you know God wants you to do? And all too often, the answer is, well, no, not really. Now, one seemingly small yet essential part of our connection to God is this. It's reading his word daily. We all know that. You know, it doesn't have to be multiple chapters. Even just a few verses is better than none. Because your soul needs it. Your mind needs it. And because that's how God designed us. Just as he designed our physical bodies to run on food, he designed our spiritual life to run on his word. But just as food is useless when it stays in the pantry, so the word is useless if this stays on the shelf. There's a story told of a man who loved old books. And he met an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. To him it was useless. And he said, I couldn't read it. Somebody named Guten something had printed it. Not Gutenberg, the book lover exclaimed in horror. That Bible was one of the first books ever printed. Why, a copy of it just sold for over $2 million in auction. His friend was unimpressed. Mine wouldn't have brought a single dollar. You see, it was scribbled all over in German by some guy named Martin Luther. Okay, you're paying attention. Good. So, we laugh at that because this man didn't appreciate the true value of what he already had in his possession. You see where I'm going with this? Do we appreciate the true value of what we already hold in our possession? Psalm 119.72 says it best. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. God's word is a treasure. So start fresh with him by learning to dig into it daily. Be obedient in reading it. Start with what you already know and see where God will lead you next. Because, my friends, if you want to know God's big plan for your life, but you're not cracking this book, chances are it's not going to just hit you in the face. God wants to see you're being obedient in the small things every day, and then he's going to reveal something bigger to you. Of that, I am certain. So, dig into his word. Dig into it daily. Number three, 
Start fresh with God by responding in obedience to what he reveals to you from his word. Back to our story, 2 Kings 22, 10-11. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan, it should actually be better translated a scroll. It wouldn't have been a book. It would have been a scroll. And Shaphan read it, read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. So now we see Josiah moves from ignorance of the word. He'd never heard it before, but now he hears the word. He moves from ignorance into full understanding of just how far, how incredibly far the nation had turned from God and how much his anger burned against them for it. And so Josiah is convicted. And he's so convicted, he immediately gives orders for them to inquire of the Lord, what do we do? And so in verse 14, we find that the priest Hilkiah goes to a prophetess named Huldah, who confirms in verse 16, This is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster on the place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Now that's definitely not good news. But there was a silver lining for Josiah. Verses 19 and 20. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid to waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring to this place. Now here we see, because Josiah responded to God's word with a repentant and humble heart, and he was truly willing to obey he received a merciful delay of God's coming judgment on the nation as a whole. And not only that, but chapter 23 continues to show us King Josiah goes on to do literally everything in his power to reform the nation and turn it back to God. He goes on to renew the Mosaic Covenant. He purges the temple and the nation of all of its pagan altars, idols, shrines, and priests belonging to the pagan gods. He organizes the first national Passover celebration to take place in centuries. This, my friends, is true repentance. And it wouldn't have come easily. Don't hear me saying in any of this that a fresh start comes easy. It wouldn't have for Josiah. This would have cost him a great deal. There would have been adversaries at him every turn of the way, and yet he went ahead with purging the nation of its idols. From the highest hilltops and the most remote places, it says he was thorough. He purged the temple. He took out the altars to Baal. He took out the, the Asherah poles. And he cleansed every corner of the land. That, my friends, is the sign of true repentance. Not just lip service. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. But we're going to keep doing what we did before. No, I'm going to clean this land to the best of my ability. That is exactly what Josiah did. That is what God is looking for in us. Hearts that will respond to his word. Not in lip service, but in action. Another true story of a man named Frederick Charrington. Frederick Charrington was a member of the wealthy family in England which owned the Charrington Brewery Company. His personal fortune, derived solely from his brewing enterprise, exceeded at that time an astronomical sum of $66 million dollars. One night, Charrington was walking along a London street with a few friends. 
And suddenly the door of a pub flew open just a few steps ahead of the group right in front of them. And a man staggered out into the street street with a woman clinging desperately to him. The man, obviously drunk, staggering, smelling of liquor. And the woman trying to get his attention and the man is swearing at her and trying to push her away but the woman is is gaunt and clad in in rags and she is is determined to get this man's attention and sobbing and clinging to him she pleads with this drunken man who they find out quickly is her husband please dear please the children haven't eaten in two days i've not eaten in a week please come home Or if you must stay, give me a few coins so I can buy the children some. Her pleas then brutally cut off as the husband struck her a savage blow across the face. She collapsed to the stone pavement like a rag doll. And the man stood above her with clenched fists poised to strike her again. While at that moment, Charrington leaped forward, grasped the man. The man struggled, swearing violently. But Charrington pinned the man's arms securely behind his back. His companions then rushed to the woman's side and began ministering to her. A short time later, a policeman led the drunk man away to the drunk tank, and the woman was taken to a nearby hospital. While as Charrington brushed himself off from all of this unexpected excitement, he looked up at the pub, and he noticed a lighted sign in the window, Drink Charrington Ale. The multimillionaire brewer was suddenly shaken to the core of his being. He realized that the confrontation with the violent, drunken husband would not have happened if the man's brain had not been awash with the Charrington's family product. When I saw the sign, he later wrote, I was stricken just as surely as Paul on the road to Damascus, for here was the source of my family's wealth and it was producing untold human misery right before my own eyes. Then and there I pledged to God that not another penny of my money would come to me by this means. And history goes on to record that Frederick Charrington followed through, and he became one of the most well-known temperance activists in England. He even renounced his share of the family fortune and devoted the rest of his life to the ministry of freeing men and women who were caught in alcoholism. Here is a man who was confronted with the wrong, and he turned away from it and pursued the right steadfastly, in spite of great personal cost. So what about you and I? When God's word confronts us with our sin, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, are we, like Josiah, grieved That we would go so far as to mourn, to tear our clothing in repentance. And like Charrington, do we respond with true repentance to actually make the changes that we know we need to make? Or do we just say sorry and carry on changing nothing? That, my friends, is not a fresh start with God. That is not repentance. That is self-deception. If you truly desire a fresh start with God in 2019 then we must follow Josiah's example. Begin to seek God diligently, wholeheartedly. Dig into his word, and then respond in obedience to what he reveals to you. And God will add his blessing, for he will be found by you. He will help you. He will be your strength. 
In whatever he calls you to do, he will strengthen you to do it for his glory and for your good and the good of everyone in your life and those you may not even know yet. Because that's how God works, my friends. And I know that he is ready and willing right now this moment to help anyone who is ready to call out to him, to seek him with a whole heart, even today. So I'd invite you to bow with me and let's seek the Lord together. Father God, in this moment, we come to you with humble hearts. And Lord, I know that as we gather here as a church family, as we've heard from your word, that in this moment, your spirit is bringing conviction on specific areas in our lives that need to change. Lord, for some of us, there's going to be sin that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be confessed and most importantly, repented of. That means turning away from it, turning from the wrong and, and going to the right. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are feeling that conviction right now, Lord. Let them know that in this moment, your grace is sufficient. It is freely available. That just as Josiah in that moment, being convicted of the sins of his forefathers and even his own done in ignorance, Lord, right now, a truly repentant heart, you will not despise, O oh Lord. Your grace is readily available right now, this moment. And so, Father, we confess our sins to you. And Lord, we go further than that to say, Lord, if in this moment you are nudging a new direction to make a real lasting change, something that's going to come hard, just like Josiah's change did not come easy, purging the nation of idols that it had worshipped for generations, a priesthood corrupt that would have opposed him at every turn, and yet, Lord, he went through with it. Just as we heard about Charrington having to give up a whole way of life and his fortune because of conviction that came in that moment of revelation. Father, I pray that right now, if there is a moment of revelation that someone needs to make a real lasting change, Father, grant the courage and the humility right now to commit to that path and to know that you are there to help them every step of the way. And so, Father, I pray that as we as a church family enter this new year, that, Lord, this would be a year where we enter your word diligently and we seek you there, for that is so often where you will be found in a real and personal way. Help us to make this word, Lord, to hold the supremacy in our lives that it should, the treasure that we would value as we should, that we would get into it daily and make that a habit. And so, Father, we pray that as we dive into your word, you would grant us understanding, give us revelation, and Father, give us obedient hearts to respond to what you reveal to us in its pages, for they are the words of life. We live by them, Lord, and we thank you for them. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.